Hey, if there's a guy out there that epitomizes the word unbeatable, it's my guest, Chris Van Zandt. You're going to hear a story about a guy who has just accomplished incredible feats in the military, but he's also had some career-ending problems that he's bounced back from, not once, but more than once. And during the course of this episode, he gives some advice, some very practical advice for everybody listening today who's going through a real difficult challenge, who's just been punched in the gut by life, and you're not sure what to do next. So turn up the volume and check out this episode of Unbeatable with my friend, Chris Van Zandt. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Chris, thank you for joining me for this episode of Unbeatable. It's great to have you, buddy. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here and it's good to see you. Yeah, man. It's been a long time since you and I crossed paths. And I'm going to start with what you're doing now just to give the listeners a little bit of idea of the business that you started But let's say that I need some coaching and I'm out there looking for an executive coach and I stumble across Van Zant Consulting and I learn about Chris Van Zant a little bit and I want to feel you out. So I start the conversation by saying, hey, Chris, I need some help. I think you might be able to help me, but why don't you tell me why you have the skills to Give me a little bit of executive coaching along the way. How would you answer somebody when they make that question to you? Sure. Yeah. So I have a a pretty, um, I don't know, I guess a pretty good depth of experience, uh, particularly in the defense space. Um, Obviously, I served in the military for 20 years, uh, most of that time in special operations um, and, and in a special mission unit. So kind of at the pointy end of the spear, if you will. Yeah. Um, so in terms of equipment and understanding um, the things that guys utilize downrange, um, I was always using the latest and greatest and kind of up on current technologies. And, and I've remained that way because it's it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, the second is I was I was fortunate or unfortunate, as some people might view it, <laughs> to, do, right. to do some acquisition work at the tail end of my military career. So the last five years, I did equipment development and procurement for U.S. Special Forces Command. Um, and that was a fascinating job in, in actually truly learning and going to school to understand how the government um, sources and procures equipment uh, and then being able to, to exercise that, that knowledge for, for five years for, for a great organization like SF Command um, really taught me a lot. Um, understanding the ins and outs of procurement, uh, whether you're a startup or you're a big business, yeah. um, kind of navigating that, that playing field, if you will, and competing with other companies. Uh, and then in retirement from the service, um, I moved on. I was fortunate to take a position as chief operating officer for a, a nylon and body armor manufacturer in the U.S., a company called Tier Tactical, um, where I got to sort of be mentored by um, a business owner, an entrepreneur that, that uh, yeah. Tier was his second business. Um, he learned a lot of lessons the first time, built a great company. All right. It. And, uh, and yeah, so his second time around, I got to be his number two and I think being able to gain firsthand knowledge under, underneath a multiple time entrepreneur like that in the defense space was hugely educational for me. Um, and then third, uh, I'm just passionate about taking care of soldiers. Um, I yeah. had a lot of ups and downs throughout my career, um, but the, the military and, and service members are very important to me. They're very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I'm always looking for ways to improve their health, welfare, or effectiveness on the battlefield. 
Yeah, man, I know you. So I already knew the answer to this question. <laughs> and I know about number three. It's legendary um, about your passion to take care of warriors and to make sure that they've got what they need. The tier tactical for the listeners out there that have no law enforcement, no military background, they don't recognize what the rest of us who have this uh, or in this line of work, uh, how we how well respected um, tier tactical is for the incredible equipment um, that they make. But not only that, how well they take care of the people that they're, uh, you know, that are purchasing their gear. So man, you really did have an incredible opportunity to learn at a great company. Yeah, very fortunate. That still has a huge influence and a, and a great reputation in the military and law enforcement. Yes, they do. This question, by the way, Chris, was a setup just so that I could help the listeners start to learn a little bit about what you're doing now. We're going to come back to your company and why you started it and the the, the difference that your consulting company is making. But this was the perfect way for people to start to learn a little bit about why you would choose the military and what you did while you were in the military. And for the listener out there who just heard him, man, 20 years of military service itself is incredible. But what this guy did in those 20 years is awesome. So take us back to the beginning, man. Why join the army in the first place yeah what mo- what motivated you in that direction uh i i you know i think i came from a family that cared about community um i had uh both my grandfather's mother and father's side both served in world war ii wow um, in two different yeah. capacities um my father was an army reservist uh he actually enlisted in the army reserves during vietnam um figuring he would get drafted anyway so he yeah. took the initiative sure and it never ended up going, um, but but he took that step, and I, and I think I understood that. But mostly, um, I needed some structure. I needed some challenges. Um, I was I was a a bit of a wild child in my teen years. Uh, All right. And I think there were some aspects of the military that appealed to me: the adventure, the challenge, and the structure. Um, but then also, uh, and I've said this many times before, but you know, I grew up with uh, my mom's grandfather in particular. I was the youngest of all the grandchildren on that side of the family, and I got him. Oh, you were the baby. I was, and I got him at a point in his life when he actually started talking about some of his experiences during World War II and shared those with me at a, really at a very young age. Um, but so I, I kind of grew up listening to him talk about his time in the service with such reverence. Like he he he, he was really proud of his really? time. He really spoke highly of all the people he served with, and whether he was telling a good story or a sad story or whatever. Uh, he just always taught it with such, told it with such passion. And it was so many years later, I think that just really hit home for me. Like this has to be a good thing to do. That's going to be good for me, whether I do four years or whether I do 20. Well, I've met countless guys like you. They're really smart. They're highly fit. They're very strong, very competent, but they end up getting in a lot of trouble in school because they're bored. And that trouble indirectly moves them towards the military because, hey, I got to get out of my hometown or I got to get away from these friends that are dragging me down or I just got to stop living this lifestyle. I need your words, structure, or I need to get away. And those guys, by the way, you already know this, those guys and gals end up making great warriors and really do very well in special operations because they're able to use all of those skills that God has given them to the, you know, to the extreme. 
So you're in a recruiter's office, and uh, what was it that you were looking for? When what what specifically did you want to accomplish in the army when you went to that recruiter's office? Yeah, I think I went in. I think the army recruiter was the first one I saw, um, and I had read or or found some information on on army rangers. Um, and and so on the army side, that was definitely the direction that I wanted to go. Um, the first recruiter that I did anybody, to, sorry, man, did anybody from your family, uh, father, grandfathers talk to you about the Rangers or did you just stumble across the brochure somewhere? I just stumbled across it. Actually, I, um, I had a friend in school whose brother was an air force combat controller. Um, and, yeah, and so that, those guys are awesome. That was the first thing he had a, he had a printed out like, uh, a type out of their pipe training pipeline. And yeah. that was fascinating to me. It was just so many things and so many skills and all things that at the time really sounded like fun, um, to me. Uh, and so that's kind of what got me going. And then my interaction with the air force recruiter wasn't the best one. Uh, he didn't, <laughs> all right. he didn't really know enough about air force special operations so you know due diligence uh i i was like you know what i'm going to visit with all of the recruiters um so i did a little reading in the library and stuff about the various special operations forces in the navy really wow and, good uh, for you and army and um i don't know somewhere in there i realized that you know going into the army and becoming an army ranger was sort of the quickest path to that first step if you will uh and that they actually did offer uh, occasionally airborne ranger contracts where yeah. as long as you kept making it successfully through the next level of training, you would eventually yeah. end up as an army ranger. And so that's what appealed to me. Uh, it, like I said, it took a couple of recruiters before I found one, a guy actually from the 82nd, um, was a recruiter and wasn't for my school, yeah. but he, uh, he ended up grabbing me and pulling me aside and heard my conversation and said, Hey man, I might be able to help you out. And, uh, and he did nice. He knew what he was talking about and, and kind of the rest of that is history. Yeah. I had a great experience with an army recruiter. It's good to hear that you did too. There's plenty of people that had really bad experiences with the <laughs> no military <doubt>. career, recruiter. <laughs> um, so you went into the army with a guaranteed ranger contract, right? I, I didn't, I went in with an, a guaranteed airborne contract. Um, but my, uh -huh. my recruiter and like you, I had a good experience was honest with me and he said, Chris, no problem. He's like, when you get to airborne school, the ranger instructors will come down and ask who wants to volunteer to go to, to rip the ranger indoctrination program. Um, and so he was right. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah, that's exactly, by the way, you and I have the exact same experience. That's exactly what my recruiter did. I tried to get a guaranteed ranger contract. There were none. So he said the same thing. We're going to make you an infantryman. We're going to send you to airborne training. All you do is volunteer for rip while you're there and will to, and the rest of it will take care of itself. And the guy was absolutely spot on and totally did me right. Man, I, I am embarrassed to ask this next question, but you show up to rip. Tell us about your experiences there. Yeah, it was good. I, I don't I don't remember a lot from the original reception or going down to to third battalion, 75th headquarters, where 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 it was at the time. Yeah. Um, my my first real memory from Rip, besides some of the people that were there, was actually on a run with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if here it goes. Uh oh. <laughs> but there were. What did I do? I have no idea where you're going with this. Just so the listener knows, I have no idea where you're about to go with this. But but what happened, man? There were a couple guys in our class that were pretty fast, and it was morning PT. 
um, and uh, we were running, and you were leading the run, and I don't remember where we were, down by Lawson Army Airfield or something. Sure, down by the airfield somewhere, yeah. And you basically took off, and it was who who could keep up with 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 Sergeant Struker, and uh, and I think it was myself and a guy named named Adam Nash uh, were the only two that even remotely stayed on your heels to the kind of the end of the airfield where we turned the corner. And when we got there, I was super proud of myself. I was like, yes, like the rest of the class is behind me. You know, as a type That's A right. competitive yeah. guy, like you you want to beat everybody. And you turned around, you stopped, and you turned around, and you looked at the two of us, and you went, do push-ups until everyone else catches up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and I think Adam and I had a laugh, like, man, all I right. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> That was your reward for running so fast and staying up with me. Man, I have I have met countless guys who will tell me stories that I don't remember from the three years that I spent as an instructor in the Ranger Indoctrination Program. Yeah. Um, I use that time, you're probably already aware of this, Chris, to prepare myself and to train for the best ranger competition. Yep. So it was like the ideal scenario for me. I got a chance to just physically uh, work out to the extreme every day and do it with you guys while you were students there. And it was it was the it, you know the best scenario for me. And hopefully I helped create you know some better rangers for the unit because of that extremely uh, difficult workouts that we did together. I can tell you, I can tell you, you always, throughout my career, you always want someone, an instructor, a leader, a teacher, whatever that you're looking up to, um, to sort of epitomize what you hope to be. And you were absolutely physically fit. You were also, oh, man. you were also one of the calmest guys I think I had met to that point. Well, thank you for saying that. Didn't, I don't even think you ever raised your voice. You were very calm. Yeah, I tried it. not to. <laughs> Yeah, what, yeah what I typically good? said at the beginning of the, the the beginning of the Ranger indoctrination class, if I have to raise my voice, if I lose my temperature temper, it's gonna be really, really bad for everybody. So please don't do that to me. Yeah. And most of the time I never had to. Um, I tried to be that quiet professional yeah. that you know special operators are known for. Yeah. Um, I want to compliment you though, man, more than one time I would take off running and, um, I also need to say this to you and I'm giving it everything that I've got as an instructor and there are students around me. And in your class, this may have been the case, 200, 300 guys behind me and me leading it. And at the end, there's only two or three guys that are still with me. But what you probably know now, you didn't know then Chris was, most of the time that I was right up there running with you, I was exhausted and not sure I could keep up with you. And you're probably exhausted and not sure you can keep up with me. And I'm just giving it my all to try to help you give it your all. Sure. And it's it's kind of mutual is what I was trying to say. I hear here. you. Um, moments like that in at, in the Ranger Indoctrination Program. Yeah. And I don't remember. I actually did rip... Um, and, and this probably happened in multiple classes that you had, but I was one of about, I don't know, 13 or 14 guys. We were a week and a half in or so, and we had some, uh, some sort of holiday weekend and yeah, uh -huh. and we had a recall situation and you had to give, uh -huh. you know, we didn't have cell phones then. So you had to like write the hotel you were going to go yep. to and a phone number. Right. And we got recalled because someone had a death in the family or there was a Red Cross message or something. And I was one of the guys that did not make it back. Uh, and so I ended up 
recycling and doing it again. And I don't remember if that run was my first class or my second class, but uh, consequently, it turned out to be a good thing because I got to meet a lot of guys in that right in the beginning of my career that that a lot of them I ended up seeing later on years down the road. And and we we had that shared experience. Hey, uh, Chris, I'm going to let you and the listeners in on a secret now. Um, I did the Ranger indoctrination program twice. I got recycled the very last day, literally the day of graduation, the night before there was a problem. I was one of two or three guys that were on fire guard and supposed to be awake all night. And something happened in the barracks and all of the people that were on fire guard got recycled because something happened and either you were asleep or you didn't do your job. Needless to say, it wasn't on my watch that that happened, but they just recycled everybody. Everybody. And of the two or three guys, half of them said, I'm not doing this twice. And they just left. Really? And I went through it twice. And like you, Chris, it became the thing that really helped forge my first few years in the Army because it it was my way of showing myself, not to mention the cadre of that program, I really, really want to be here. And I want to be here no matter how hard it is, no matter how unfair, no matter how what it takes from me, I want to be here. And I want to show you I want to be here. And it actually, it helped me going through that thing twice back to back helped me in ways that I never knew until years later in my military career. I, co- I completely agree. Um, I've, I'm a person that has fallen down and got back up a bunch of times yeah. throughout my life. And that one happened in early, you know, prior to that, I don't know that I had really experienced anything like that, like true failure. Me too, man. My first time anything like that ever happened. Yeah. And it was a blow to the gut. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It, yeah. It definitely set a tone um, and helped me through a lot of things that happened uh, sort of later on in my career. Which is the whole reason for this podcast, to just remind people it might be unfair. It may be coming out of nowhere. This may be the first time anything like that has ever happened to you, and you just got punched in the gut and hit your knees on the ground. Now it's time to learn how to get back up. Yep. So you obviously get back up. You are very successful in the Ranger Regiment. Let's go through your career and let's talk a little bit about the highlights because I, I, I don't want this to just be uh, the Chris Van, Sh- Van Zandt career show. <laughs> I want to talk a lot about uh, who you are and what you've overcome in the military and out of the military. Yeah. But from the Ranger Regiment, where do you go? What do you do next? Yeah, well, I, speaking of getting punched in the gut, uh, I, I left the Ranger Regiment. I left the Ranger Regiment early and, and not by my own choosing. I made a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. I had an alcohol-related incident, and you know probably as well as anybody. like that There's zero tolerance for that back in the tolerance. day, like today. Yep. yep. And uh, and I did, and I left. Um, and I, because I was an 11 Charlie, I was a weapons platoon guy, a mortar guy. Uh-huh. Um, they sent me to 3rd Infantry Division initially on, on Kelly Hill, right, right there on Fort Benning. Yeah. And huge change of pace, um, really a, I, I mean, I think mentally I was absolutely defeated. All I wanted to do was be an army uh, ranger and I was there and things were yeah. well and I loved it. Uh, and then, man, this thing happens and I literally felt like my career was over. But a really kind of profound thing happened when I got to that unit. I, I was met by um, my, my soon-to-be platoon sergeant, a guy named Master Sergeant Donald Blackman, and E-8. And uh, seasoned guy, been in the army for 20 years, and he pulled me into his office and had a really good conversation with me. And he said, "You know what? You're a kid. 
Um, and he didn't mean it derogatory. He meant you're a yeah. guy. And he said, and young guys make mistakes. And he goes, it's no different than than if you were out in the civilian world and you made a mistake. You got to pick right. yourself up and you got to move on. But we're not going to hold it against you. I expect you to All right. and be a leader. He said, you, you come from a highly respected organization. And, and I need you to step up and, and act like you came from that organization and show these guys what a soldier is supposed to be. Wow. Uh, All right. And so really motivating guy, really kind of took me under his wing. Uh, really good sense of humor on him as well, which I think I, <laughs> okay. I, think I needed at that point in my yeah, life. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, big change of pace. Um, that was a drastically different organization, but I ended up spending about two and a half great years there. Um, did some time overseas in Kuwait. We did a six-month deployment to Kuwait and did some really yeah. training exercises out there. Um, but overall, it was a great experience. Um, came back from that Kuwait trip, and I was coming up on my reenlistment window. And and if I'm honest, Jeff, I thought, you know, as good of as good of recovery as I had after the alcohol yeah. incident, I thought, man, I'm never going to be able to do the things in special operations that I wanted to do. Right. Um, and then another great leader stepped up. My battalion commander at the time, my that platoon sergeant that I spoke of. Yeah. told me he wanted me to go down and talk to the battalion commander about my reenlistment. And I did. And he asked, you know, what my thoughts were. And I told him that, you know, I was just worried that 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 incident was going to hamper my career and, and that I wasn't yeah. going to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. And and he was really reassuring. He said, you know, you've been the epitome of a great soldier the whole time you've been here. You've stepped up. You've been promoted. You're a leader within your organization. He said it would be a really big loss to the army if you walked away. Um, you know, what what can I do to convince you to stay? And I asked him jokingly, can you make that that letter of reprimand go away? Go away. Yeah. <laughs> and he he did me a solid. He said he said, yeah, he said, I can request to have it moved to to a different part of your file or whatever. Uh -huh. It's not front that nobody ever sees. Yeah. And and he said, what else? And I said, well, sir, you know, I to be honest with you, I want to get back to jumping out of planes. So I really don't want to stay here as much as I appreciate this organization. And he understood, you know, I, I started out, sure. started out as an airborne ranger and now I'm in a mechanized infantry battalion. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that wasn't what I had in my mind. And so, and so, yeah, I did. So I, I, because of his leadership and guidance, I reenlisted and, and ended up in the 82nd. Yeah. And while you're up there, you get into the reconnaissance part of the 82nd, right? You yeah. end up doing a little bit of time in their long range reconnaissance unit. Yep. Yep. Reclass. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if... I don't know if you're aware of this. I spent four years in the Ranger Regiment's Reconnaissance Unit, and it is a very difficult mission. Um, because when you do your job right, absolutely nobody knows it, and everything goes smoothly. When you do your job wrong, you are the most hated person on the planet. So for just a second, um, I just want you to kind of describe a little bit about the challenges of being on those long-range surveillance teams, the LERS teams that you served on. And that mission, because it's it's thankless and it is really difficult. It is. Um, it's definitely a different caliber of soldier in reconnaissance detachments. Yeah. Um, they're usually very self-motivated, which I really like that aspect. Um, you're functioning in small teams, really small elements, whereas the rest of my time in the service, I had been part of a platoon or a larger company or yeah. organization. Uh, and your missions are, are very small team like that. Um, so for me... It was, it was a really great experience to be in a small team environment where you had to be self-motivated. Um, we did a lot of physical fitness training. 
Yeah, we did a lot of, of a lot. There was a lot of self-discipline um, that was required to perform those tasks. Uh, and like you said, it was a thankless job. But at the same time, the information and, and collection that you did was absolutely critical to the larger yeah. organization's success. So for me, it was my first exposure to small teams. Um, and it was probably the thing that really lit that fire and made it want to be something that I wanted to do for right. later in my career. I had the same experience. Um, it is a very difficult, very physically demanding mission. And you face kind of austere conditions with no support. And if you get in trouble, you're out there on your own. There's nobody there to back you up. Absolutely. But like you, I stayed in it for four years because every day I recognize the strategic importance. If I if we do our jobs right, man, it will save countless lives. It could literally win a war by doing your job right. You do your job wrong and it will cost a whole lot of people their lives. And I think for me, it was the importance of the mission, not how thankless it was or how dangerous or difficult it was, but it was the, it was the importance of getting the right information to the right people at the right time that made me stay in it for that long. Um, but it it will chew people up and spit people out. <laughs> no doubt. Um, you left from there, and I kind of know where where you go next. But why don't you describe kind of what happens with the rest of your career now? Yeah. Um, so in that eighty second time frame, I was I was um, fortunate to meet a young lieutenant fresh out of West Point, um, a guy by the name of Paul Karen, uh, and Paul became a really good friend. Um, Originally, I was in Alpha Company with him together, and I was the mortar section sergeant before I reclassed yeah. 11 Bravo. And and so I got to befriend all the new lieutenants as well as the platoon sergeants, even though I was a, yeah. a, an E5, E6. Um, and then when Paul moved to the scout platoon, he was kind of one of the contributing factors to me re reclassing and moving over to the scouts and taking a team for him. So I had this great relationship with him. Um, and what I didn't know at the time was that Paul's father um, was was in the Army Special Mission Unit was was the Delta, uh -huh. Delta Force Sergeant Major and uh, and Paul had had many a conversation with me about what my career path looked like and what I was going to do next and I think originally I had talked to him about about going to Special Forces Selection and Assessment and becoming a Green Beret yeah um, and Paul and again unbeknownst to me I didn't know what his dad did. Um, Paul is kind of the person that convinced me that I should try out for the Army Special Mission Unit. So I did. Yeah. Uh, and I was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it out. I was unsuccessful. Man, you and I got a whole lot in common. Go ahead. Keep talking. So, yeah. So I, I went and uh, and I was in really, really good shape, Jeff. Like my mindset was right. Like I really thought I had yeah. and and sort of a couple of days before you're almost done, I, I got pulled for failure to meet the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they did it. They asked me to return. Um, and, you know, like like all the other episodes in my career, I think there was always that one little thing, that one little bit of inspiration to kind of yeah. help me motivate to, to do something over again. And and so I did. I waited a year, had a great year with the scout platoon. 9-11 happened. Um, uh -huh. and, and, uh, I had already had my second class date right after nine 11. So about three weeks after nine 11, I went back to selection. I was successful the second time around, um, and then, uh, transferred over to the special mission unit and started the operator training course. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I want to compliment you, man. More than a few guys that have gone through what you've went through, when they got themselves in trouble, when their career started to take a turn that they didn't like, weren't wasn't expecting, when they had those incidents and got uh, kicked out of the unit, they started on a downward spiral, and one thing led to another, which led to worse, which led to worse, and pretty soon, their life is just a mess. And as I'm sitting there listening to you, I'm like, man, you are the case study in how not to let some mistakes haunt you for the rest of your life. I mean, like countless guys that I know have gone through what you've gone through, but their life just went in a very different, very dark direction and yours didn't. And I'm really, really impressed by the way that you learned and grew every step along the way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you don't, I mean hindsight when you look back you know that every one of those was preparing you for the next one yeah. really um, yeah. and giving you the tools to navigate uh success and failure um and so i i tell people all the time you know all those times i've failed in life are probably more important than the times that i've succeeded <laughs> I totally agree absolutely yes um, the failures were painful, but they were always the most powerful lessons. Those are the lessons that stick with me for the longest. You showed up to the special missions unit when at a, at a kind of an unprecedented time in American military history. And I already know the, the stats here, but I want you to share them with the listeners. You do a lot of combat operations. Like in the history of the U.S. military, you won't find a group of people in our entire country's history that have the amount of combat experience that you and some of those guys, some of the warriors that you served with have. So tell a little bit about some of the com. Just describe the stats for us for a little bit. And then there's one specific mission that I want you to talk about for just a few. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk about not having a clue what you're getting yourself into with yeah. with respect to the volume or the years that we would be doing those things. Um, yeah, I think myself, I, you know, five, six hundred combat operations. Um, yeah, I, I need you to say that because somebody's driving right now. They were listening to traffic or something else, a kid crying in the background, and they missed that. Tell them again how many combat operations over the course of a career in special operations. Yeah, over about 10 years, about about five, somewhere between five and 600. Um, it's kind of tough to count, and some things you don't count, and some things, whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, and you know, everything from, from joining my team, my very first team in the special mission unit, I actually joined, they were already deployed to Afghanistan uh, in, uh -huh. in 2002. And then I participated in the invasion of Iraq and then nine other deployments after that. Um, yeah. Majority of my time was spent in Iraq, but I did end up doing um, a couple of really unique kind of small team um, reconnaissance and other thing missions in the Horn of Africa, kind of in the early stages yeah. of that. So yeah, over the course of my career, you, and you don't really realize how much of that's accumulating, you know, the luxury of hindsight, when you look back on it all, you go, wow, it really was a lot. And then, you know, part of my mental health journey, um, and, and understanding and identifying some of the things that that does to you as an individual and does to other people, and then figuring out ways to deal with them is a big part of who I am yeah. and why I do what I do now. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that because you have ample um, experience here. 
um, I want to make sure that the listeners didn't miss what you just said. Five or 600 times in the last 10 years alone, you put your equipment on, you get on a vehicle or an aircraft, and you go out there and you hit a target. And you know, I, I, I remember these, these moments well, that this may be the last target that I go on. I'm going to give it everything that I've got. And maybe I come home, maybe I don't. And that relentless operational pace, man, it is brutal. It's brutal on the warrior. It's brutal on the family. It's just brutal on everybody. Um, the, the, the amount of combat experience that you have, literally, few human beings in American history have that kind of combat experience. And you've done some very significant, very important missions, one of which the quiet professionals chose not to take the credit for. But why don't you tell everybody about the time you had a chance to pull the country's leader out of a hole um, that he dug himself in early on in the war in Iraq? Yeah, I, I mean, so I was I was fortunate or unfortunate to take part in 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 the invasion of Iraq um, in the beginning stages. And then I rotated home for a little while and then I came back. Um, and then, yeah, I was I was um, able to take part in the capture of Saddam Hussein. Um, I didn't. I didn't pull him from the hole myself, uh, but um, but you were on target. Yeah. yeah, of course you were on target that night. Yeah, yeah, we hit a couple of different targets that evening. Um, his uh, some individuals that were connected to him, um, and and yeah, lo and behold, uh, we found the guy. Um, and it's it's one of those things where I think it's it's almost better looking back on than it was in the moment. And the, and the joke is is that when it, yeah. when it happened. You know, you 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 got it and you felt it, and we've been chasing this guy for nearly a year, yeah. and and you finally know that you've got the person that you're after, and and remove this horrible dictator, uh, and you think, okay, all right, mission accomplished, we're going home. Yeah, woohoo! We just won the war. Everybody can go home. <laughs> and then everybody knows that it didn't quite go that way. Um, yeah, right. And I, I'm pretty sure we we uh, were out on another target either the day after or the next day. Right, uh, and then there was sort of an evolution in the war, but but I think any time that you're you're fortunate enough to be a part of being asked to, to to participate to accomplish something of that level of significance, uh, and you get to do it and see it through, um, yeah. Regardless of the reasons we were there, we weren't there, or the politics of it, we were asked for right. a mission, and we got to see that through to its fruition, and 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 I'm proud of that, and I'm proud of all the people that yeah. I served with that were a part of that. I'm glad you said it that way, man. It's not just a sense of accomplishment, but it's basically making the world a safer place. And not always does a guy get a chance to feel the significance of what I just did coming off of the objective. That's one of those few times in combat where you literally take your equipment off at the end of the the, the operation and feel the significance of what I just did for the world, literally making the world a better place because of what we just did tonight. Yeah, it was a very exciting time for sure. Um, I'm speeding through your career. So now we're at the end of the, your career and you have done incredible legendary operations. You have done combat unlike most people will ever see in the history of our country. And obviously you carry some of the scars and I don't just mean physical but I'm talking about some of the psychological and emotional scars that go along with it. Every warrior that I've talked to on 
uh, that is no longer in the military has all described on this show the struggle that they had transitioning out of the military. So would you just describe a little bit about what this was like for you when you left the military? And if you can, kind of describe the what this what the toll was for your family as well. Yeah, well, I'm actually I'm going to I'm going to go back to about five years before I got out. Um, okay. so sort of at the tail end of my, my operational, if you will, special operations career, um, I had another, made another mistake in my life. Um, uh-huh. and I ended up leaving the organization that I was a part of and, and going to, to first special forces command. Um, in the lead up to sort of that happening, uh, and unbeknownst to me, um, the, the accumulation of trauma, the accumulation of loss, um, and the the stressors of of combat and living that yeah. life for that long had caught up to me. Um, I had some physical injuries. Um, I certainly had some some uh, mental health issues, um, but I was sort of unaware of those um, because of my physical injuries. I had developed a, a bit of a chemical dependency on some painkillers. Um, I had some uh-huh. surgery and then coming off of the painkillers after that became a problem. And I had a problem with, with alcohol. Um, and, and all of those things collectively sort of contributed to, to how I ended up leaving the organization that I love so dearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you, I'm one of those people because like we said, overcoming so many challenges, I'm one of those people that sometimes feels like necessary things need to happen to get you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so one of those things for me was sort of bottoming out in about 2010 um, and almost taking my own life. Um, and I'm, I'm comfortable talking about it now because I know how important Good. it is for people to hear yeah. that. Um, but it was, it was a combination of things, Jeff. It was, it was a lack of self-worth. Um, it was having what you do and how you define yourself taken away from you because of a mistake that you made. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of the self-loathing that comes with that. Oh yeah. Um, it was losing friends and missing friends and, and, you know, really losing the ability to connect with others because, because of experiencing those losses and not wanting to get close to people and then have them disappear from your life again. And so Post 2010, um, got some professional help. Uh, again, moved to a different organization, a different job. Um, it's when I started the acquisition phase at the tail end of my career doing equipment development. Um, and I was surrounded by a bunch of guys for about a five year stretch before I retired that yeah. were all kind of at similar places in their life. Um, and we found this sort of collective unity in doing what we were doing. We weren't in the fight anymore, but we knew that the job that we were doing was absolutely critical to the guys that were out there still doing the job. Um, yeah. And so the combination of being surrounded by like-minded individuals at the same point in their life, being able to talk about and share things and learning how to do that again um, in conjunction with some therapy and, and, and getting some help and getting off the, the substances and what have you, um, I think all of that collectively led me up to to 2015 when I was getting ready to retire, and I was I was doing pretty good. Um, I was definitely on the path to recovery. I was beginning to understand uh, how and why I felt the way that I felt when I was at those All right. um, and and in ways that I needed to focus on getting better and dealing with that. Uh, I also met my 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 wife. Um, my now wife in, in my last year of the service, um, and 
having a partner was absolutely critical in, in yeah. my recovery, you know, not just from a support standpoint, point, but, you know, she, she was my best friend um, and a yeah. and someone that loved me for who I was right then and there, not for what I did or what I used to do. Uh, and I think that was instrumental for me. So when I got ready to retire, um, I was pretty focused on the next chapter. It was, what am I going to go do now? And it was, how am I going to redefine myself? And how am I going to utilize the skills that I've developed over the last 20 years to uh, perform at a high level in something completely different? Um, and that was kind of leaving the military was sort of that time when I realized, you know, the the things that make up who you are, the drive and intensity and passion and 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 intelligence that you use to tackle problems. If you apply that in in any field, yeah. um, you you can achieve success. And so yeah, you're going to be successful definitely. <clears throat> and so yeah, so I retired in 2015. Um, I knew I was I was at that point at that tail end there. I knew I was going to go work for this company in the defense space. Um, but in between there, I needed a I needed a break. I needed some sort of mental separation yeah. between that's what I used to do, and now I'm going on to something else. And uh, my wife and I love the outdoors. We've done a lot of hiking together, and we decided we were going to go hike John Muir Trail in California. So all right. Nice. Three weeks yeah. in the wilderness, get away from it all, no cell phones, no nothing, no connection. Um, and what I found on that hike, that three weeks away, um, was pretty profound. Uh, for someone that has always been spiritual and grew up in in a in a family that was kind of like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I'd lost a little bit of that over the years. Um, and getting back out in nature for a, an extended period of time like that at the tail end of a, of a very long 20 year career. Um, yeah. I think it really, it connected me back to some things. Um, it made me really think with a clear head about my past, about who I am, about the struggles that I've had and about how to move forward. Um, and it also allowed me to connect with my spouse on a level that I probably hadn't done to that point um, and sort of open up in a comfortable space without the influence of, of alcohol or, or yeah, anything else yeah. uh, and sort of talk about and share some of the things that I had dealt with over my career that um, gave me some of the feelings that I'd had and some of the injuries that I had developed. And um, yeah, it was just really it was this magical three weeks in time that really recharged my batteries and, and made me go in with with an open heart and open eyes into what I was going to go do next. That's fascinating that you have not just a physical healing, but a little bit of a spiritual encounter on the Muir Trail. And you connect with your wife in a very powerful way. Look, a lot of guys, man, they got low like you did. They got injured. They they were prescribed some painkillers and those painkillers ended up destroying their life. And I'd like, I'm fascinated to find out why, do, what is it that helps you really get healthy again? Um, how do you recognize, I need some professional help. What do you do that gets you off of the chemical dependency that you just mentioned? Because you and I have plenty of friends that are still hooked on it and still fighting it and probably will fight it now for the rest of their life. Um, so how did you get healthy? What was the steps that you took yeah. to actually start to get better? Honestly, it's it's going to sound so simple, and I know it's different for everyone, but step one was routine. 
It was, I had gone all of those years with some form of routine as it related to fitness and workflow and when I was on and when I was off or whether I was deployed or I was home, there was always some sort of routine. Um, And when I left the special mission unit, you know, it was kind of a nine to five in an office. Um, And so that was very new for me. Um, And it's very easy to get lazy and get out of your routine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I retired in particular, my wife and I did that hike. um, And one of the other things that happened on that hike was being out and being physically active and exhausting yourself all day. um, I actually fell asleep. So you wake up when the sun comes up, you go to sleep when the sun goes down. And that that three week stretch reset my circadian rhythm. And prior to that, I Uh a five year insomniac. um, And I didn't even realize that being in the wilderness could fix something like that <laughs> yeah. without yeah. sleep aids, without anything else, but it did. And so when we got back from that hike, my wife said, and this is on the routine theme, my wife said, Hey, you know, we've been waking up at sunup. Um, why don't we go to the gym tomorrow morning? Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of fought it a little bit, but she's like, you're right. We wake up every day at 5 AM. We might as well go do physical fitness in the morning. So we did. Yeah. Uh, that was in 2015. So still to this day, I get up every day, I go to the gym, I come back, I have a shake, have a healthy breakfast. Solid. Way to go, man. It's this, it's establishing that healthy routine in order to have healthy sleep patterns as well. So both of those two things were absolutely critical. Um, The third is is communication, is um, you have to talk to people. You have to talk to doctors um, to fully understand and identify if you do have any sort of physical injuries, if you have any sort of psychological injuries. Um, but if you don't share your experiences and, and, and start to talk to people and figure out how to do that, um, you're not going to be able to identify what those things are. And if you don't know what they are, you recover from them. Uh, yeah, Yeah, I think, I think you just identified the key reason why some of our friends get healthy and better and others of them just stay in a bad place for a long time. And it's the it's the courage to communicate that I'm struggling when you finally find the courage. And I've always said that it is far more it takes far more courage to admit I need help than it does to act like you got it all figured out while your life is spiraling out of control. And more than a few of the special operators that I've interviewed on this podcast have said the same thing. Like, I had to finally get to the point where I had to admit to somebody else, another human being, I'm not able to figure it all out myself. I need some professional help. And that was the moment that people started to come around me that could help me get healthy again. Had I never said that, I would probably be in a bad place or dead right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think they try, I think people try to take too big a step at a time. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it comes in little increments and then you gain momentum as you go and, and right. steps get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, when you talk about sharing with someone, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, whether it's your best friend or your, or your spouse or a family member, start small, take that little baby step right. of talking about how and what you're feeling and it, it'll get easier and easier. Um, you don't have to go straight to a mental health professional if you're not comfortable with that, but you'll get there over time if you take it in steps. 
for the listener right now who's who's hearing from Chris, he's not just talking about the guy or the gal that's on the extreme spectrum of post-traumatic stress disorder. He's talking about anybody who's going through some really tough things. Success builds on success and wins create more wins. And don't try to accomplish it all, figure it all out, fix it all in one sitting because it's not going to happen. Start small. Chris, you just said, I talk to guys all the time, and you really do because you're part of the All Secure Foundation, um, part of that board. Would you tell the listeners who have never heard of this foundation what they are and what they do? Yeah, All Secure um, is a, a veteran-owned nonprofit. Um, it was started by by Tom Satterley and his wife, Jen Satterley. Tom was... Yeah, great, legendary warrior. Tom was yeah. in, in, in Somalia with you um, way back in the day, yeah. and then he was he was one of my instructors coming up um, with the special mission unit. And then he was uh, one of my leaders in the special mission unit for a bunch of years in combat. Um, and, uh, and the two of them, um, Tom, same similar story and, and kind of one, yeah. one of my mentors and a guy that I look up to and helps me get through some things is he realized that he had some issues. Um, and it really took his, his spouse, Jen, uh, to kind of help him and be there for him and coach him through taking those baby steps early on on the path to recovery. Um, and he did that. And then not only did he do that, but he decided that, man, this is important. And there's a ton of people out yeah. there that feel like me. And there's not a lot of leadership in that space. And I'm going to step up and do something about it. And so he did. He uh, he started the All Secure Foundation with his wife. And in its inception, All Secure honestly was built to kind of act as a triage. It was to be a location right. that could provide other resources to individuals that didn't know where to turn. Um, and it was mainly focused on special operations veterans. Um, as it's grown, um, All Secure does retreats at various locations around the United States uh -huh. where they bring in service members and their spouses um, because one of the things that they focus on besides post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury in the veteran, but it's secondary post-traumatic stress that occurs within your significant yeah. other. Right. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of people looking at that, but it's a huge problem um, that I we're agree. now starting to see. Um, and so, yeah, All Secure has, uh, as I said, they do conduct a number of retreats. Um, they have a bunch of um, counselors and therapists on staff. Uh, and so any veteran or veteran couple that attends a retreat um, gets to do the follow-on portion of meeting with a therapist uh, that understands the community that we come from and some of the traumas that we've experienced over the course of our military careers and some of the traumas the, spe the family has experienced on the backside yeah. of those deployments. Um, and yeah, the next phase for them hopefully is, is to establish some permanent locations with which to conduct those retreats um, and then continue to find the right place to plug in folks that are having issues, whether it's substance abuse and, you know, referring down to warrior's heart, um, whether it's, yeah you know, chemical dependency or whether it's mental health or suicidal ideation or whatever it right. might be, it's, it's helping people find that right resource. So for the listener out there who's sitting on some family land that's not getting <laughs> used right now, if you want to make a donation, yeah. reach out to Chris and tell him, hey, we want to give some, some land to a foundation that's making a huge difference, not just in a warrior's life, but in the family's life as well. Yeah. All Secure has um, been, been fortunate to have some fantastic support, but, yeah. but as you know, uh, it's, a, it's a constant challenge and, and there's yeah. just thousands and thousands of people that 
that need this kind of assistance. So it's right. Old- the, the need is far greater than you have the capacity or the resources to take care yeah. of right now. Yeah. Tom had an incredible wife. You've got a pretty amazing wife. Tell everybody a little bit about Robin. You've already mentioned the impact that she's had on you getting healthy again. Yeah. Uh, huge. Um, I, like I said, I met her at the tail end of my career. So, you know, she didn't, she didn't know, you know, the, the, the she didn't know what she was getting yeah, into, right? No. Or, or anything <laughs> about the life that I led or the place that yeah, I've been or things, of course. things that I had done. Um, yeah, she got me kind of as a, as a broken man, um, and, and fell in love with, you know, the, the things that weren't military, you know, sense of humor uh-huh. and, and intelligence yeah. and hopefully all my other decent parts. But, um, but yeah, she, um, having a spouse that just allows you to be that comfortable space for you to communicate with and then, and not judging you just listening and, and yeah, comprehending right. and being there. Um, but then I, I got doubly lucky in that, um, she fell in love with the outdoors just like I did. And yeah. so we collectively, you know, push each other to do bigger things. Um, we travel the world hiking and backpacking nice. and climbing mountains and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always say like the backcountry is our church. Um, and we both, yeah. we both feel that all the time. So nice. we, we certainly spend a lot of times in, in the great outdoors. What's the next big goal for you and Robin? Uh, so outdoors. We, yeah, we, we, I'm in the process of a multi-year seven summit attempt. So the highest point All right. on, on each yeah. continent. Um, we did COVID and, and then I had some health issues. Yeah. Um, a year ago I had some hereditary heart issues that sort of changed my career path. Wow. Um, yeah. but, uh, so I had some delays, but we ended up climbing Kilimanjaro just this past year. All right. So, Way to go. And the next one is, uh, hopefully is, as Aconcagua, um, South America, yeah. Argentina, Chile border. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see where we go from there. So I'm not trying to break, nice. any, I'm not trying to break any records. I just, no, man, but, but honestly, <laughs> just having that dream and working towards that dream yeah. is something that gets you fired up every morning when you get up and work out at five o'clock in the morning. Well, and it's such a connection to to feelings that we had in the service. When you get to accomplish yeah. something that's physical and mentally challenging and you get to do it with a really good friend or a really good coworker, or if you're really lucky with your spouse, uh, it means so much more to you. Uh, it's so uplifting yeah. and, and we both feel it all the time. So we continue to chase that feeling. Absolutely. Hey, we just came full circle in this conversation. We started off talking about your consulting firm. I have always throughout my entire military career looked at the guys and gals that I served with and always thought to myself, these guys and gals could lead any organization at any level anywhere in the world. I'm literally serving with some of the most talented people on the planet. And uh, you do some great things for about seven years with Tier Tactical. But let's wrap this thing up by talking about the decision to step away from Tier Tactical and and a pretty, you know, uh, well-established paycheck and go out on your own and launch Van Zant uh, Consulting. Uh, talk to us about that decision and how it's gone um, in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, as I alluded to a minute ago, about a year ago, uh, I'm, I'm 46. Um, my grandfather, father, and brother all either had a heart attack or open heart surgery in their 40s. Uh, and really? So wow. We just we, we just overproduce cholesterol. That's all there is to it. 
And it, it's a hereditary condition that I was aware of. Um, mm. I've been on top of it for years. I've been on cholesterol meds since I got out of the army in 2015. You have been doing all of the things that you did in the military and in nature with this condition all along. Made, wow. Made no difference. Yep. It's still here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, uh, about, a, well, a little over a year, year and a half ago or so, I was um, having some blood pressure spikes and some other just weird feelings. Um, and I finally went to the doctor uh, and after a series of various tests and given my family history, they, they dug a little deeper, had a cardiac CT and identified three major blockages in arteries um, wow. around my heart. And so uh, that led to having some stint. For I would just say for a dude your age and at your fitness level, that's unheard of. Um, there are other 46-year-olds that are sedentary out there that may have that. But at your fitness level, at your age, that's unheard of. You uh, And when it's it's just an – it proves to you that it, it, don't judge a book by its cover just because you that's right. yeah. take care of yourself and you're physically fit. You If you feel like something isn't right, odds are you know your body better than anybody else. Yeah. And you have to continue to pursue it until you figure out what it is. And so luckily, between my wife kicking me in the butt and, and some other folks <laughs> – I found it. I caught it. I didn't have a heart attack. I had some stents put. You didn't have the widow maker that killed you at 47. And it very well could have happened on a mountain somewhere in some yeah. foreign country. So, so yeah, kind of when all that happened, Jeff, um, I came home and, and, you know, stress is a big contributor to that stuff when you have a hereditary yep. condition like that. And what I now, what I, what I'm realizing at this point in my life, um, and I've talked to a lot of other vets about this is you know, stress is something that we sort of laughed off when we were younger and we were soldiers. Um, you know, you, you put yourself in all these high risk situations. You live this, yeah. this cycle of adrenaline for a bunch of years um, and your body manages stress a certain way when you're that young man. Well, when you get older post-service, whether it's whether it's physiological or whether it's psychological, you don't process stress the way you did as right. a man. Um, and it was having an effect on me. So you know, when you're in a growing business like we were, um, and, you know, I think when we when I started at Tier, we were at like 45 or 50 people. When I left, we were 350 and in three countries. And it's yeah. it's just a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I came home and, and looked at my wife and we both just sort of collectively agreed that I needed to make some changes and, and maybe maybe career was one of them um, so that I could manage my workload and manage my stress levels a little better. Um, and so I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but because so many times throughout my career in the military, especially, I had had these huge changing events where and in most yeah. most of the time it was a mistake. At least I had control <laughs> of this one. Yeah. Uh, but you I, bounced I, back from a couple of mistakes over your career. Yep. But I knew I had the capacity to change paths and I would be fine. Um, and so I did. So I resigned my position at Tier. Um, after, after seven years, lo loved it, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I just, I needed to do something different. And so I had the heart procedures done. I sat around for about a month, maybe, and I started getting bored. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I started talking to my wife about the consulting thing. She actually brought it up. Um, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, there's not a lot of guys that have the combination of experiences that I have. Yeah. Um, both inside and outside of the service. I know the right. market really, really well. And I think I can be value added to some companies. And I would really like to go find some companies that are doing some things that 
make me excited that that I want to bring to to soldiers, you know, wherever. Um, and so I did. So I I created a company. I updated my LinkedIn profile, and then you know we we all have a pretty substantial network, and I'd been involved yeah. around the defense industry for so long that it really didn't take long to find some find some folks that I sure. hopefully can help, and it's going it's going fantastic. Uh, yeah, it, man, it's there's still stress. It's still frustrating, of course. Uh, yeah, because just, it's you just want to see them all be successful. Uh, that's right. You know, yeah. and 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 government and and defense is just a slow industry, so. Oh yeah. So patience. I'm relearning, you know, some <laughs> some patience processing skills yeah. in this phase. But it, but it's wonderful. It allows us the free right. time and flexibility to do some other things that we're passionate about. It allows us to spend time in the outdoors, um, and yeah, it allows me to help uh, a bunch of folks. So I'm I'm really yeah. really enjoying myself doing it. Yeah, I mean the beautiful thing about what you've got going on right now, you've taken all of that leadership experience from the Army, all of that acquisition and equipment experience, and you're really helping people. But you get to help some pretty amazing people that are developing some pretty incredible products. And everybody wants to reach that DOD contract because that's usually in the millions or billions of dollars range where if you're not in that space, uh, you know, it uh, it may be 10, 12, 20 years to hit that DOD contract and a lot of R&D and hard work and grind to get there. But if you're not in that space, you probably will never hit those kind of numbers or it'll take more than a lifetime to get there. Man, I just want to compliment you one more time. We're, we're getting ready to wrap this episode up. But the amount of times that you've had setbacks in life, health setbacks, mental health setbacks, career setbacks that could have caused you to go down a dark road and eventually put a pistol in your mouth, the amount of times that you've had setbacks and you bounce back from them, man, you are one of those living examples of what it looks like to be unbeatable. And I'll remind the audience one more time, unbeatable by its very name means you've been punched in the face or you've been kicked in the guts by life. And now you have to make the decision not to stay on the ground and wallow in your pity, but to get up and make something out of it, to get up, dust yourself off and to get back in there. And you, Chris, have this story in spades. So thanks for sharing it with the listeners today, man. Yeah. It's been great to have you on this episode. Thank you. It sounds way cooler when you say it. <laughs> oh, man, it is because you are cool. That's why. <laughs> it's good to know that people can appreciate failure. <laughs> yeah. No, man, I have, the, I have mad respect for people. I, the guy or gal that's never experienced any failure, I would not want to work with that guy because they would be impossible to deal with. So... I'd always rather work with somebody like me or you that have had it more than once. Like I said. And the guy or the gal that's never experienced it, man. Like I said, the, the downs are also what make the highs so great. So, yeah. yeah, keep fighting. That's right, man. That's a good word to end on, man. Thanks for being on this show. With me. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Hey, as Chris was talking, I was just thinking to myself, if it wasn't for the people in Chris's life, if it wasn't for his wife, Robin, and the guys and gals from the All Secure Foundation and some key leaders in his military career, maybe he goes down a different path in life. Maybe he's not around today to have this episode with you. And maybe 
you're struggling right now, I want to challenge you. Chris talked about relationships again and again in this episode, and I want to challenge you to go out there and to go find that relationship with a person that can help you get the help you need, help help you get healthy if you're really struggling with something right now. Don't forget what Chris said. It's wins that build on wins and success that builds on success. Don't try to fix the problem. Don't try to figure it all out in one moment. Find a couple of people around you that can help you with a small win today, which becomes a bigger win tomorrow and eventually helps you accomplish those problems. And I hope this episode has been encouraging for you. I want to thank you for tuning in. I especially want to thank the fans that are following this podcast on all of the major podcast platforms. There's some incredible people that are connected with this podcast. And the fan of the week for this week is Michelle Kennedy. Michelle, you're amazing. I want to thank you for being so loyal And for the rest of you out there who are just connecting with us for the first time, just listening to this podcast for the first time, if you like this, why don't you go ahead and subscribe? If you are not already doing it, why don't you follow us on social media? Go to just about any social media platform out there and search Unbeatable Podcast, at Unbeatable Podcast, and you'll find us out there. But the most important thing I want to ask you to do is to get connected with a very strong group of people that are getting content from me every week, getting uh, motivational emails every week. This is what we call the unbeatable army. There's some free downloads, there's some free videos, there's content that I send out every week just to keep you encouraged when you're facing some hardships. And if you wanna become part of the unbeatable army, Don't cost nothing. It's totally free. Just go over to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining me for this episode. If you want to know more about the All Secure Foundation, look in the notes when you get a chance to this episode. We'll include the link to it there. Hope you have a great week. See you next time. 